classes that are coming up. Uh, There is a five-day intensive called the New Basics. It's about the new consent basics really in depth. That's from February 19th to 23rd. Then I'm doing my five-week rom-com class, a media literacy course for the hopeless romantic. That one's going to be super fun. That starts February 28th. And then my consent educator program this time around is a consent-based teaching artist program. So the goal is to help artists figure out how and what they want to teach and create a business around that to support their art practice. That is 11 weeks and it contains the consent educator training, the unblocked class on moving through creative blocks with a consent practice with yourself, and business support. My Boundaries and Consent Workbook for People Pleasers is now available for pre-order in paperback, which is super exciting. It's being published by For the Birds Trapped in Airports, which is a local LA press. Consent Wizardry also has hats and shirts and other fun stuff that also supports the show. And of course, we have our affiliate link to Foria CBD Wellness Products. Uh, you get 20% off and we get a little kickback, as well as our Lust Cinema affiliate links also in the show notes. Um, you get access to 20% off of their softcore, hardcore, and long-form uh, porn. It's awesome. Uh, I can speak to that uh, both from the perspective of a consumer and as an intimacy coordinator on some of their shoots. So I highly recommend that and we get a little, um, it helps support the show. So take a look at those and thank you for helping. I have lost my voice today, but I wanted to release this podcast, so I didn't wait until I got my voice back, and I wanted to let you know that this is the first in a short series that's going to be focused on the Unblocked course that I offer, so it's students from that course, uh, which is about moving through creative blocks with a self-consent practice. So I'm talking to artists in different fields who work with different mediums who are using these principles in their work. The first one today, I'm going to be talking to Josie Alexandra. I hope you enjoy. Welcome back to Share the Load podcast. Today, I'm talking to Josie Alexandra, um, who you can introduce yourself. Hello, I'm Josie. I'm an artist who wears many different types of artistic hats, and I'm really excited to have this conversation with you, Mia. Yeah, I'm glad that you're here. You're um, uh, a sort of standalone um, person in this Unblocked series because we've worked together so closely and I'm doing a lot more things than than um, the other people in this series. So, but you also did the Unblocked 
class. So I think, you know, I just, by that, I mean, I'm a lot more familiar with like your beliefs around this stuff and how you practice uh, both your art and, um, you know, consent and stuff like that. Uh, more familiar with how you do that than I have been with other people. So, um, yeah, hopefully that means that we can maybe get a little deeper into it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, let's start by, um, I'm curious, I guess, how you, how consent has made its way into your art practice. I think consent starts with giving myself an affirmative yes. I'm going to take myself seriously as an artist. Mm. Um, yeah, like it. It was a very pivotal moment of like walking across a city that I don't even live in, and realizing that if I went off and studied something else, I would never have given myself the opportunity to know myself and opportunity to give what it means being an artist a go in my life and I think beyond just having the confidence to say I'm an artist requires a lot of self-consent and then to maintain that self-understanding requires practice and to practice as an artist requires a level of discipline self-consent self-understanding which is still an ongoing process of learning and execution in my own life so I would say I'm still very much on the beginning journeys of a three two and a half year three year journey of taking my art seriously which required to take my healing and boundaries and consent practice more seriously as well. Yeah, that's amazing. That's um, such a great way to put it. I'm curious, you said something in there about like living as an artist. And I wonder what that means to you to live as an artist. I like to say these days that I'm unapologetically in flux because <laughs> everything is changing, you know, as you know, like, because you work with me that like, I'm moving a lot, I'm trying to work out where to start a new life and everything like that. But I think, you know, it comes down from, you know, my father calling his children an artistic experiment <laughs> to uh, having the under growing understanding of the way that being an artist is a service industry and that we're giving something to the community I was listening to a podcast interviewing a musician the other week that said that you've recently said that in your work and so that's like the shifting point that's happened recently in my life is seeing the work that I'm doing as a service to world building but I think prior to it the last few years I've seen practicing as an artist is something to do with 
taking the civil aid, like the crises we're in and saying, what does it mean to examine these things? How can we envision and feel our way through this moment in time? And yeah, so I think there's a crossover of having a philosophical outlook, having a a whole life, uh, you know, like my dating feels like part of my artistic research. The things we do are in working in consent as part of artistic research. And yeah, it's just changing a lot at the moment, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I think about what you're saying around like, you know, various aspects of your life being part of your artistic research. I think about that all the time. And there's like, there's a way that um, there's some crossover with consent there in this, in a few different ways. One is like, it's, it, that makes it, first of all, the work that we do, the work that you know, of making art, but also around consent. Like I work in consent. And so I see consent everywhere. Like I see it when I walk into someone's house and I see that it's a shoes off house and I don't want to take off my shoes, but I'm going to, because that's what they want. You know, like, I'm like, oh, there's consent at play. You know, like I can't really turn it off. Mm -hmm. And so it makes it really challenging to have any boundaries and and to be able to have like a personal life that's separate from work because my personal life is so charged with the same stuff that I'm thinking about for work um and then you know that can lead to burnout I mean you know I I wrote a scene for something I'm writing in bed trying to go to sleep the other night you know like it's it's just everywhere and then the other thing about it is like then other people get involved in the work without giving their own permission. You know, like if my dating life is full of examples of boundaries and consent, and then those become sort of studies for me on like, you know, how even they become examples for teaching and they become examples for like something that furthers the work in some way. And it's like, but that person didn't necessarily agree. But like our life as artists, your life becomes the work and and it just you know trying to navigate that trying to figure out like you know I'm dating someone right now and I'm like I'm gonna need to have a conversation with her sooner rather than later about like what is okay for me to even talk about like I didn't ask her if it was okay for me to even say that right now you know and I'm like okay so like where is that line I'm not using her name I you know blah 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 but it's like um at what point do we have a conversation and, and, and then how often do we have to like go back to that conversation to figure out like, what's okay to talk about? Like, is it okay for me to talk about this, but not this? Is it okay for me to even say like, she's coming over later or, you know, can I talk about these things, but not sex or like sex, but not these things. So I don't know. That's just something that's been on my mind a lot lately. Um, you know, I'm, I'm writing a show right now that definitely involves, and like, I'm writing a book where like one of the figures in it is, is an ex. And I'm like, do I have to ask his permission? I don't know. You know, these are like sort of unanswerable questions in any kind of general way. It's going to be really specific to every person. Completely. I think I'm very transparent with the people that I interact in life that 
everyone that is within orbit is influencing me because right. of that porousness. Yes. And I, I even wear like a ring on my engagement finger to say that my primary relationship is my arts practice. And that's always going to be something that people have to navigate and understand. And if the, it crosses their boundaries or it's something they're un- uncomfortable with, then being in orbit with me or being in alignment with me in life uh, is obviously not the right move and it's like their agency to take themselves out of relation with me Mm -hmm. um the other thing that I think a lot about is you know not telling other people's stories and we've touched on this ourselves but it I don't have people's consent to tell their story but I'm able to tell my story in how I was relating to them or how my actions you know, everyone, I was talking to my sister and I was just hanging out with her like six-year-old and four-year-old and they had tantrums and just acting like tired small children on the weekend and I found it really draining and triggering and then I texted her and then I was like, underneath all of that desire to push away and say oh my gosh your children are too much when they're acting like four-year-olds having a tantrum because they've missed their bedtime is actually something of grief of witnessing my sister allow her children to express their emotions without shame and Mm. without (laughs) punishment and then witnessing her model a repair between the two of them because I was like the younger one was upset that the older one and an older friend didn't let them like let her play with them and then she had a tantrum and then like later that evening my sister was modeling a repair and being like what could you do in the future when you're like feeling left out and I just like got home and I had to like lie down and rest and then I was like oh it's so much being around small kids and then what I yeah it was just like no it's like a sense of almost not jealousy but I don't have the right word of like what are these kids going to be like as adults Mm. that haven't Mm -hmm. been shut down (laughs) and I'm having to learn how to like give myself permission to feel frustration or rage or anger and not close myself down and use it to fuel rest to fuel creativity to be able to like lie in bed at night and write a track Mm -hmm. even though I'm meant to be resting but that's when the ideas come like giving myself permission to feel what I need to feel at that time um so yeah it's about forcing myself to look at what interactions are asking me to examine Mm. of myself yeah yeah, that's a really beautiful thing with kids to get to see. Like I just saw I'm I'm just kind of dwelling on this this video that I saw yesterday that was like this guy saying like one of the best things about having kids is that you get to be a kid again. 
you know, like, do you want to play Connect Four? Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> do you want to play with Play-Doh? Oh my God, yes. You know, like all these things that are like, you don't do as an adult. And I'm thinking also about the grief that I feel sometimes as an artist when I finally give myself permission to do something that I've wanted to do for so long. Um, and realizing like, like this is, and you, I think you and I have talked about this a little bit, but I, I've really felt that way about music a lot. Like I, when I put out my first EP, I just wept because I was like, I could have been doing this all along. And where would I be now? What kind of music would I be making now? If I had let myself do this thing that I've wanted to do, but thought was out of reach. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, you know, I was so skilled technically as a, I don't even want to say as a musician, but like as a pianist, let's say like as a kid, I was like classically trained. I was, you know, really good at like the certificate of merit music theory tests. I was like placing in the, you know, 95th percentile and all these things. And none of that made me feel like I was a musician because if you sat me down on a piano and said, play something I could play you Bach or Mozart, but I couldn't play you something of myself. I couldn't play, like, I couldn't write anything. I couldn't make something up. And it wasn't until the last few years that I learned to do that, that I let myself do that. Um, even though like all through my life, I, I knew I wanted to write a musical. I knew I wanted to be in a band. I knew I wanted to sing. And I was like, oh, a parallel universe, you know, like in another lifetime. I'll do that. Mm. And then finally giving myself permission to do it. And not only like letting myself do it, but realizing like, Hey, I'm, I'm pretty good at this actually, you know, I'm so excited to mix your album. Like I am so excited for you to do that. And, but, but I've had such immense like waves of grief, just being like, yeah, like this was in you all along, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and it's so it's, I'm learning to feel that grief and not try to make it shut up. But I think, you know, kids really face you with this. Like they really show you this. Yeah. Um, And not only like children, children, but like a person's children. Like I, as an adult, I'm still doing this to my own mother who Mm. at 70, well, in retirement over the last five or six years, has finally allowed herself to study photography, which is what she wanted to study in high school and college, but her mom talked her out of it. So she went into print journalism. And then in the last several years has learned how to use Photoshop, has taken all these photography classes and she's incredible. She's very good. And she has submitted, she has gotten into three gallery shows across the country this year because she finally let herself. So I shared this with her because I got out of this meeting um, about a pilot that I'm writing where the person was so kind and so encouraging and just was like, I have so much faith in your ability to do this. Like you're so well-equipped to do this. And I just cried when I got off the phone because I was like, I could have been doing this all along. And I did it, you know, the only person who didn't believe in me was me. Um, and I told my mom about this and she was like, oh, sweetie, I'm feeling this now in my seventies. Like you're still so young. Yeah. I mean, that story brings almost tears to my eyes because it, it resonates with something that I talk about with 
you know, my auntie a lot because she's having conversations to my nephew who's eight and I'm 29 and she's in her late 60s, similar age. Mm -hmm. And she's like navigating all of these kind of things. And she's like, you're so lucky. Like she'll tell like my nephew, you're so lucky you're learning it at this age. I'm learning it 60 decades after you kind of thing and then like she'll constantly remind me as well of just like you're so lucky you're doing it in your 20s and I think I think what that speaks to is actually when there's an intergenerational dialogue about consent and permission to you know examine ourselves because what the people around us are asking us to examine in ourselves because you can also Mm -hmm. get people of any age but maybe it it is a parent figure or a grandma figure or even just a peer who's like no but it's too late or what do you mean by that or you know still I would call it because this is how I call my own limiting beliefs gaslighting myself yeah and and I think what this work does is allow for this beautiful ripple effect that that does make change and let people find their artistic voice at any age because art is timeless and I think that is something really important to touch on is the way of how people are receptive to (laughs) you know that change because I don't think it's just children sometimes in like when I this is unblocked podcast like I can see in myself in my like late teenage years early 20s when I was very blocked maybe not artistically but blocked in the same way you're talking about technical skills with piano it's like maybe I wasn't blocked artistically technically but spiritually and as an idea as a person blocked you know I hadn't come to understand so much about myself and I would see someone thriving that was my peer and recognize these days that the reaction that I was feeling towards their um perceived freedom of Mm. self would would have been these days I understand as jealousy that they gave themselves permission to explore their creativity their sexuality their relationship styles them walking away from friendships that no longer serve them and all of these things that self-consent practices require us to do and I was so jaded by it because I wasn't giving myself permission to do those things myself right and yeah I think now I just look back and I'm like damn they were doing it before me (laughs) like you know like I wish I had the boldness to do that and that's why I always have empathy when I feel like there's pushback by people Mm. around me or I meet people with it because I'm like I've been there and I think that's that's also like something unique and I would say a gift is is that we have the empathy to understand because we've been there. And I guess maybe what we see of people who've never had to go through this journey of self-consent, of self-acceptance, of giving ourselves permission to do something is a sense of entitlement and arrogance and judgment 
you know like I think it's very interesting to look at like what is the the behavior patterns of people who've never had to do this and and are they the people that actually hold space for mm. us as artists you know I think it's it's the people the artists that have supported me in transformative ways whether it's little phone calls like yourself that says like you know you're going to be amazing at this or like you know like someone's like yeah surely you're someone that like pulls a crowd of 50 people to a gig and I'm like I love that you say that but like let's be honest it's two like it's a live stream <laughs> you know yeah. and I'm like I'm glad I'm I'm so grateful that they like have that vision they can see my vision or my potential and believe in it and I, I think it's because they too have had to face whatever challenges in their own life to give themselves permission. And it's this uplifting of each other. Yeah. Yeah. I've been reading um, Rick Rubin's book, The Creative Act, and I so appreciate how he talks about like, it's such a privilege to be able to pursue a creative path. Um and that for a lot of, for some people, it's not right for them for whatever reason. And um, he's like, everyone is an artist. Everyone can be an artist. But for some people like that as their life is not the right choice. And for some people, supporting artists in other ways is part of their path. I, I think often of, um, like I have a, a dear friend from, kindergarten I mean we've known each other for almost 30 years and she is in she she studied I believe like arts policy and she works in the nonprofit sector and you know I'm like gosh working in like an office setting like a nine to five or I think she's working like nine nine to seven more like and <laughs> um you know like that is really not for me and yet you know people like you and me need people to do those jobs, like to, to help us find the grants and to help us, um, you know, and to organize that aspect of things and to create the policies that get artists funding and that get artists shown and, um, and that create, you know, programs and education, like that can be someone's calling like that can really be what someone's purpose is and and I think that's so beautiful because I think there's like a part of me that's kind of like I just want everyone to be able to be creative and like make all their art you know and it's like well hang on a second like that's your dream because that's what you want <laughs> but that's not actually what everyone wants and thank goodness you know yeah and I think also it doesn't allow for the fact that like you know that skill set to create policy is an incredibly creative set of skills you know totally yes and like I was in a lecture or like a presentation once with someone who was an environmental lawyer talking about rights of personhood for a river on this continent wow. and I was like this just feels like an art theory lecture at university you wow. know and I was like, law is, when it's being used in this future building way, is mm. so creative and so, so 
I don't know, you're having to take all of these different ideas and marry them together and be able to articulate them in the same way that writing a musical or writing a song is, you know, you've got to be able to pair all these ideas together to present something. And I think you're right. Everyone is an artist and it plays out in different ways, whether that's being a chef or a gardener or even like the parent. Yes. And and also like the precision of a dentist or a surgeon like yes that's hand coordination like there's I think the the disservice that is in the western Cartesian cultures that we find ourselves in is this split you know Mm -hmm. of like what is art and what isn't art and and rather see that like cultural production happens in so many different forms and we actually do ourselves a disservice when people say that they're not an artist because they don't know how to technically draw you know right right (laughs) you know that's such a great point and I I a couple things came to mind one is like my grandfather um who I have very conflicted feelings about, um, who died earlier this year. I remember one time, I mean, he did not value art at all. He did not value my artistic abilities. He did not see that as a reasonable life path for me, so on and so forth. But I, but he worked a lot with tools and he, um, he, one time, I don't even remember what I was doing. I don't know if I was cutting onions for latkes or if I was like folding a piece of paper, but I remember him saying something like, wow, look at the dexterity that you have. He was like so impressed with my ability, my like really fine motor skills with my hands. And you know, and most people listening know I do ceramics, I play guitar, I play piano, um, I crochet. So like everything that I'm doing has like, you know, immense fine motor skill requirements. Um, and I remember kind of being struck by that and thinking, and and he, of course, because he would, he was like, you get that from me. Like he was like, that runs, you know, that runs in our family, it's genetic, you get that from me. And wherever it comes from, like because that is my lived experience, it doesn't occur to me that other people don't have, like some other people don't have that, you know? So there's like a way that when someone can draw attention to something, like value gets placed on it and then Mm -hmm. value get placed on it for me because this, you know, and you were talking about like the intergenerational, the way that like that all kind of gets transmitted. Um, so, so that came to mind. Um, there was something else that you were saying. Oh yeah. When I was a kid, I said to my mom, um, and she remembers this. I said, I'm artistic, but I'm not an artist. So this is like kind of the opposite of what you're saying, where I was like, I have all these skills, but I'm not an artist. And this is like the same thing that I was saying earlier about like, I was a skilled pianist, but I wasn't a musician. Like I had this idea in my mind that like, I had all these skills, but I didn't really think like an artist. I didn't practice like an artist. I just was like technically skilled. I took drawing classes. I took painting classes. I took a a jewelry making class. I, you know, I could 
cook, I could write, I could do all the, I could play the piano, but, but an artist I was not. So I feel like it's been in my adult life that I've learned to kind of flip that where I'm like, no, I'm an artist kind of no matter what medium I'm working in because I am an artist and the skills will come Mm -hmm. through practice. Yes. (laughs) And they're there. Right. I mean, I think you've touched on something really interesting. And I think because instead of going off all philosophical let's bring it back to what this podcast is about and like maybe if you want to we could open the conversation for how does unblocked facilitate that shift of in in your mind of like changes from being artistically skilled to being an artist because otherwise we are very uncontained in a very dangerous tangential fields of that <laughs> question you know yeah like, I really I appreciate that yeah like, yeah what? let's go let's go there and then and then from there let's go to your perspective on grant writing as like self-exploration and then let's mm-hmm. close out yeah okay so well how do you think that I mean this is really interesting you know I I think I've mentioned this to you before that like people will tell me like you know I want to I want to do this with you because of your approach and I'm always kind of like cool. That's amazing. Can you tell me what my approach is? Because I'm just doing what I do. (laughs) So like, I really, I really want to hear from you, how you see that shift happen and how it's facilitated by the method that I've constructed and teach in Unblocked. I think it brings it back to the practice of self-consent. Okay. And I think I can't really separate where I was in life to when I did Unblocked because I was working on the closing few months of a very long research project that has accumulated into an 80-page manuscript of experimental poetry, my film, which you've seen, and like the workings of an album and the film and the album is going to become a cinematic visual what do you call it a cinematic album so I think I'm coming from the privileged place of being like I already made that switch in 2020 of being like I'm an artist artistically skilled you know I've gone to like reputable universities and done all of these things but I didn't feel like an artist and then I gave myself permission to being an artist and I actually will answer maybe the first the second question about writing grants and writing grant applications a lot during 2020 21 21 because I was living in um, Melbourne which had a two-year-long lockdown and Mm -hmm. I was working with friends at the time to make audiovisual work to make my own poetry audiovisual work and then spend a lot of time also writing grants and and building the skill set of taking myself seriously as a full-time artist so fast forward 
to when we were doing Unblocked in May 2020. 2023. 2023. <laughs> was this year. <laughs> this year, 2023. Was I'd kind of seen myself have a relapse because of things that had happened externally mm. in my life. And when we met, you were like, everything you're describing sounds like you you would benefit from doing Unblocked. And so I think what I see the value in Unblocked is you give people tools to able to even help themselves through relapses because life is going to throw you challenges. Like you're going to have to deal with a family crisis. You're going to have to deal with a breakup. You're going to have to deal with, you know, global wars, you know, like all of these things that are not going to stop happening once you decide to make that switch and consider yourself an artist and start going on that journey. And what comes to mind a lot is your care plans. Yeah. And also (laughs) I'm before even unblocked, I'm a fan of the timers and you know, I love using timers as also like a gauge of where my health, you know, in March, mm. but just before unblocked, I couldn't even look at a computer screen for five minutes. I would turn the like timer on and I'm like, I'm just going to do five minutes and see where I go. And mind you, I could spend hours painting during March. So I think it's <laughs> also like both of us have multiple creative outlets because they come at a certain point and I see myself very seasonal in what needs to happen because I think there's like my painting practice offers me something when I'm moving through trauma and disassociation and yet the way that I paint is influenced and informs the way that I edit sound and so I can see these Beautiful. direct these direct layovers. And the other thing that I think you offer in Unblocked is the community space to yes to be vulnerable with each other and talk in a safe container. And that I think that was the most profound experience is meeting people who could just say, I go through that too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and just to to interject and add to that specific thing, people who, you know, are immensely talented and skilled and proficient and prolific, who are also dealing with extremely harsh inner critics and very intense imposter syndrome. And Mm -hmm. to, to look at other people, you know, to hear that you go through imposter syndrome can help me get over mine because I'm like no Josie obviously you're so good at this and you are supposed to do this like this is what you're supposed to be doing like if you have imposter syndrome and it's stopping you from sharing this with the world like you know then fuck that imposter syndrome and then you turn that around on yourself and you just kind of go oh yeah (laughs) you know But also, I feel like this is great because I have quoted you on this show before and you, what you said stuck with me so much when you said, I don't have time for imposter syndrome. 
yeah and I even wrote a track with the musician Princess Eve who did all the production of it and I wrote the lyrics about this exact um and it felt so good to just write a track that talks about imposter syndrome and and I've talked to my sister about that who works in academia so it's not it's like uh I think it is a feeling that transcends any industry you know yes and and I think as artists being able to write songs and musicals or whatever that actually teases apart this feeling and pulls it really pulls it apart rather than just being like oh I struggle with imposter syndrome I've got to move on like you know I think being an artist and giving myself time to meditate on what a feeling is and look at the ways that I can express it differently and write a song where I'm talking about imposter syndrome is external you know it comes from the side eyes it comes from the people that cut you off it comes from the people who don't listen to you it comes from the people that quote your work and your intellect without referencing you you know it's all of these (laughs) it's all of these external things and it's a feeling in response to that you know but I think yes it's it's not well until I started to unpack it myself I hadn't really considered it as an issue that's external yeah. I thought it was something to do with me and who I was and my my skill set or my experience level and all of these things. But it it's like when you're in a room, like you're saying that meeting that you started crying afterwards. Yeah. When you're in a room with someone who's not behaving in all of these subtle or overt ways, imposter mm. syndrome doesn't exist. And right. we're very, we're very, very confident, assured of ourselves. Know that with practice, our skills grow. Um, yeah, I I love what you're saying there, and I I really appreciate the distinction that imposter syndrome is a reaction to the outside world. I think that's also true of our inner critic usually, mm-hmm. and when we don't examine where our inner critic comes from. Um, something really cute is happening my dog just came running out of my bedroom to go like sniff my cat who's asleep in the sun on a chair over there and now we're just it's very sweet um one of the practices or I'll talk about two of the practices that we do in unblocked one is that I ask where does your confidence come from and where does your inner critic come from and I ask it in that order with great intention I think what can happen when you don't look for where your inner critic came from is that you just think it's you. You just mm-hmm. think this is true. This is a voice in my head that is giving me the hard truth that no one will say to my face. And if I can just harness it to make me keep going, then it'll be, you know, it'll be doing its job. When really your inner critic came from like mine is often like things my mom said to me growing up. Um things that my dad said about other people when I was growing mm. up. Think, you know, that one scene in that one movie where someone got trashed, like from She's All That, you know, mm. like it's from 
ads that I saw that told me that my body hair was disgusting. It's from, um, you know, the kids in like that one kid who sat behind me in psych class who like blew on my arm hair from, from behind me and made me self-conscious, you know, like that is where my inner critic is a combination of all of these outside voices and experiences that has, that just still haunt me. And mm -hmm. if I can look at where it comes from and I can understand whose voices it is, whose voices it's made up of, then I can recognize that it, none of it is coming from within me. Yes. That's, that's one thing. And then we look at imposter syndrome and ask this big question, which is like, do you have imposter syndrome because you're doing something that has never been done before? Oh, I love that. I can remember, you know, really having to sit with that. And and I, I actually think I was feeling that last night, a bit of imposter syndrome and in a critic playing out because I was sitting in an audience full of people at a film festival last night and the film was screening and as soon as the film, my film, Compass in Hand, came on, you know, I was like, oh, and it's so different to all the other films. It's an experimental film. I have a background in fine art. I don't, you know, I went on a date in May or April with someone who works in the film industry. And I was talking about my project and he goes, so you're the director. And I'd mm. never considered myself the director because I'm like, I'm just the lead artist. I'm running this project. I'm the musician, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, okay, cool. I'm talking like, and then I'm like having to quieten it because it's just like those feelings. I was like this work, I know I'm so proud of. And I mm -hmm. think that's like when we're giving ourselves permission to practice and create and the distinction for me came was in 2019, I was like, I'm fucking sick of making work I'm not proud of. Mm. I don't care what, it doesn't do anything if people like it or don't like it. I want to myself be very proud of myself. And this film is the direct result of that. Mm. And I've... I was watching it and I was noticing all these feelings come up and I had to be like, look, you've just had an argument with your parents like last night. You're going to be feeling like a bit like I had to just calm myself and be like, I'm really proud of this. And you're now in a room full of people watching it. And the organizer of the film festival was like, as soon as I saw it, I knew it had to be included. And then the award ceremony comes through and like Jolie, who did the cinematography for some of the scenes, one best cin cinematographer you know and I'm like so I'm conceived produced made an award-winning film in multiple film festivals now mm -hmm. and I I had to pause then and I was just like my inner critic was just like yeah but they're not big festivals and I'm like mm. so these things are so ever-present and I think it's about I think unblocked really gives permission to say you can't just get a knife and cut these things out of you, you know. Mm, mm, that's it's not, you know, both of us practice 
what it means to be non-binary in what I would consider a philosophical sense. Yes. We approach our way that we think about the world, about how we interact with consent and creativity from a trans perspective. And I think yes. that's also something that you bring to Unblocked or your approach to work is the, I call it the architecture of thought is non-binary. Yes. And and I think it means that I can just acknowledge that then of just saying, hey, like my film just won an award last night. But at the same time, I have this little inner critic say this. And I think the more that we externalize those little things of being like, hey, I just noticed this silly little inner critic thing. Mm -hmm. It's like we're not shaming ourselves anymore. And I'm not pretending or masking as someone who's fully healed from having imposter syndrome or fully healed from having inner critics because I think they are going to be present yeah. for life, you know? I don't, yes. And I think I, it's more about our relationship to these things. Yes, I think there's, so there's a term in consent education called noticing. And noticing in this context is exactly what you are talking about, which is to observe without judgment. Mm -hmm. um, so to observe your inner critic without having it mean that you aren't healed or that you are still an amateur or that you, you know, shouldn't be feeling that way or that um, you have to get over it, but just to go, oh, hey, that's there. Mm there you are. You know, I, I had, a um, there's a coyote, there's a few coyotes in my neighborhood. And I, I was looking up, like, how do I deal with a coyote? And it was like, get a flashlight and a whistle and this dog, this citronella spray. And I was like, so I go, I go out of my house to walk my dog with like a whistle and a flashlight and a this and a this. And I'm like, so tense, you know, and I'm like looking around for this coyote. And the other night I heard this couple walking their dogs just go hi coyote nice to see you and like keep walking and I was like whoa <laughs> that's such a different way to like move through the world you know like I'm like ready for battle and I need all my gear and these two are just sort of like I'm just gonna like acknowledge you as an equal and I'm not gonna show you that I'm afraid and then we can coexist peacefully like it was mm. quite a it was quite a wake-up call um but also something that you said in there made me think of something that I don't remember. But I really, I really want to give you a chance to share with everybody like how you approach grants because I think that um, what you're taught, what like you have helped me so much with grants, and you've helped me learn about my own work through the grant writing process. So I was hoping that you could kind of um, leave everybody with a little bit of that. I would love to. I would just say that like grant, whether it's a grant application for funding, whether it's a exhibition, uh, what do you call it? Expression of interest or an application for a development program, for example, I think, I think it's important to distinguish that these kind of applications are often very similar, but also that they're, they're asking different things for, from us as artists. Mm -hmm. Like, but at the core of it is an opportunity to write ourselves into the future. And 
that is what I say it is like a love letter to myself and that's the way I I don't I I take it seriously that like I spent a good portion of 2020 and 2021 in lockdown writing applications either for my own ideas and my own practices or collaboratively on two different um projects that never see the light of day but I think and I have to quiet my inner critic again of saying where is this huge chunk of productivity <laughs> that mm-hmm. met the audiences but actually what you do see of like compass in hand you know is the result of working on a lot of projects that never actually got finished relationships deteriorated they didn't get we didn't consent to them being shown to the world but in that process of writing grants as a love letter to ourselves I kind of just I think a lot of my thinking has very much been influenced to Isabel Anderson who runs female DIY musician out of the UK and I really love the way that she marries psychology mind shift to creative practice as well and whether she is or not calling it self-consent practices she has a lot of crossovers kind of thing yeah and so yeah I just was like you know you can go to therapy and someone says write a lot like a letter to your 10 year old self doing whatever you know like those kind of activities that psychologists give us to do to accept the past well I kind of just flipped that on its head and I was like writing grants is a way of saying I want to exist in the future in this way Mm. you know and that's the core of it and I think there's also this great idea that rejection is redirection so you get rejected from and I'm not going to say it doesn't hurt sometimes you know like a few weeks ago I I looked at my emails at the wrong time I was very tired I was not expecting to get two rejections (laughs) that night you know and I did cry and what it showed me was I want to go to London so I'm moving to London you know (laughs) yeah you know so it's like I'm not saying that rejection doesn't hurt but I think if I've applied for two or three years now to go to residencies and do masters in London, there's something in London that my practice is asking of me. Um, So yeah, that's like, I'm not, yeah, I think that's really important because it's not like I'm a non-feeling robot that can just put in all of this time and effort into grants, which do take a lot of time. But what I'm saying is there an opportunity to include in part of the creative process and yeah. so maybe it does take me two and a half years to produce a film but in that time what I'm so proud of is I had funding to pay everyone on set I paid my nephew who's eight you know and he was like you don't need to pay me and I'm like I want to pay you so you know that your labor is worth it that's amazing yeah and I got to go on all these residencies. I got to meet people who have informed my practice because of it. And I had the time to set the intention 
of how I wanted my shoots to feel. And I've had people tell me afterwards and reflect back into it of being like, that was the calmest film shoot they'd ever been on. And when the when I fed them, and it was a skeleton crew, I mean, there was like six of us in the shoot, like, it was a very small shoot. And I had them being like the people who work as like stylists or f- shoot photographers, filmmakers being like, we didn't expect to get fed. Because it's so small. If it's a small shoot like this, we weren't expecting to get fed. And I was like, well, I put funding aside in my grant to feed you. Because like you're on set from like what, 7 a.m. till 6 p.m. or something like yeah. that. And um Yeah, so I think not only is grant writing a love letter to the future or like the future in kind of artist or lead artist that's you know bringing together a whole team to make something happen because if you don't have the team my work wouldn't be what it is without the team you know but then it, I think it, it extends further into that of like how do you want to treat your team what kind of relationships and then again consent comes into it is like do you want to show care or do you want to show exploitation do you want to show that you value them and you think about all of their needs like being fed mm-hmm. <laughs> when I say oh there's it's it's just we love this we've got to do this uh there's not enough money in the world so we're just going to have to make this off the back of each other like working a full-time job you know like you and I both get frustrated at this philosophy you know because yes. it, it's like okay cool I took three years and I would say probably a year of that. Well, actually, I wasn't working on these ideas in 2020 and 2021, but I'd been building the skill set. So by November 2021, when I applied for the grants to work on this project, I'd done two years of skill development in writing applications and, and in conceiving of how I talk about my practice and in conceiving of all of these things so by the time I came to apply for a grant for this project I got it but there was a lot of rejection prior to that and then I kept on applying for more funding to be able to pay everyone involved or like there was a bit of like artistic trade as well mm-hmm. um, so I want to acknowledge that it wasn't all paid for but it was labor was matched mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what was I saying? Well, we were talking about yeah. grants, but I mean, I think you hit everything that I had asked. Um, yeah. And speaking of care for self, I am noticing that I need to take a nap. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> your evening over there. Can you see? <laughs> I know I am like wilting before your eyes. Um, Plus, I mean, we've been talking for a long time. This was a really great conversation. I completely, the time flew by. Yeah, that happens um, with us. <laughs> yes. Can you tell everybody where they can find you and how they can pay you and what they can pay hire you for? Yeah, for sure. So the probably easiest way to contact me is through my Instagram or my email. And my Instagram is IEA studios which is a-e-a-e-a underscore studios s-t-u-d-i-o-u-s i think <laughs> yes <laughs> and then um my website is again the same name but it has the url the IEA institute 
um but maybe you could put it in show notes or just yes, like for something sure. like that um and on there I'm offering workshop facilitations which go into my artistic methodology which we didn't really we kind of touched on but the grant writing is just one of the methodologies I have a few other that I've developed over the last three years as you know methodologies to support neurodiverse and trans ways of being as artists because I don't think those ways of being are fully accepted within mainstream funding you know Mm -hmm. so it's about that so those kind of workshops I offer offer like creative consultancy or creative producing and that I use those two different things because like consultancy could just be me reading over a script and saying like are you sure you want to end your film this way I'm seeing this narrative be reproduced by Mm -hmm. ending it this way what kind of impact or story are you trying to have by ending it a possibly different way so that's where I'd say like that's consultancy or even like the way that I've been working with you is like how do you see your whole practice where do you want to be going yeah and then creative producing I'm much more collective on it and it's more how can I work with you to take a project from beginning middle end and really share all of the skills that I've learned from writing a grant Uh-oh. Producing a project. Wait, you froze for a second. You said um, creative producing what? Yeah, I'm more selective in it because I want to be working with projects I really, really believe in. So that mm. would require relationship building over time to deliver yeah. a project from, you know, wherever someone is and take it to delivering it to audiences. And that's a durational, you know, someone could just have a two-hour call with me and I throw out a lot of ideas and that's consultancy whereas producing Mm -hmm. is really you know giving more of my emotional spiritual totally labor to believing in a project and wanting it to succeed and um yeah they're the they're the main like ways that I'm working with other people I'm also like starting to do you know some mixing for you and I'm going to see how Mm -hmm. that goes um that's audio mixing and yeah just I would say if anyone needs help with poetry filmmaking or audio visual making um scripts and just conceptualizing how they're an artist and being able to communicate that is yeah um what brings me passion when I'm working with other people I can attest that you are very skilled at that and it has really changed how I uh conceive of my own work um I think that's it's been a really uh very positive experience for me thank you (laughs) yeah likewise all right Josie thank you so much for doing this um I'm thank sure you. I'll be seeing you next week probably sometime yes yeah okay well thank Ciao. you bye